Hello, and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. For most of his young life, Robert Henke was destined to be an engineer. And in a way, that's exactly what he became. Producing seminal techno records with Monolake, he could rarely fight the urge to modify and redesign his hardware. Lumiere, his visually stunning new live show, is the result of years spent mastering high-powered lasers and countless hours writing the algorithms that control them. Meanwhile, amidst all his albums, art installations, and other creative projects, he helped develop Ableton Live, a bit of software that was a game-changer for electronic music and the ultimate tool for his own form of art. On a recent snowy evening in Berlin, Henke made an appearance at the Music Maker's Hack Lab, a week-long workshop at CTM Festival that's co-hosted by Peter Kern of Create Digital Music. In this live interview, Henke shares his wisdom with Will Lynch and the dozens of young producers gathered before him. As Peter just said, um, for an occasion like the Hack Lab, uh, which sort of is a celebration and a practice of people um, not only making music, but uh, sort of inventing their own um, tools with which to make that music, um, you're kind of the perfect person to have as a speaker at an event like this. Um, and I feel like what you do and a constant throughout your career has been this sort of interesting overlap between two things, which I guess you could sort of characterize as, on the one side, art or music, and on the other, um, what you might call engineering. Um, do you feel like those are two separate sides of your brain, or is are they both kind of the same act for you? Well, I, for a long period of time in my life, I thought, um, it's two separate sides. And I always felt I need to justify always um, that I occupy myself with these two different things all the time instead of doing one thing right. Uh, but at some point I, I came to the conclusion that actually there is so much art in um, engineering. There's so much beauty in engineering. And there's always so much craftsmanship in creating anything artistically. Um, that the overlap completely justifies what I'm doing. And the, the difficulty only arises from um, finding the boundaries. Like, where do I stop reinventing the wheel? Where, is it, where does it really, where do I really benefit from programming my own stuff? And where is it just a nice escape? Because there is one significant difference between engineering and, and art, as far as I'm concerned. And that's engineering is always result-oriented. So there's a problem, and there is, you can clearly describe the problem. 
and then you can find a solution. And if you don't find a solution, someone else eventually will find it. Um, creating art is not solving a problem. And sometimes I enjoy engineering or programming or soldering simply for the fact that at the very beginning of the process, I have a clear idea of the end. And it's not this kind of sitting in front of my computer trying to make music, trying things out, throw them away, um, trying new things, throw them away at the end of the day, turning it all off. And um, when asked of saving, I say no. You know, this is, uh, and therefore, engineering is a, is a nice uh, thing to do if um, the artistic stuff doesn't continue to be successful. Yeah. Um, something I find, another thing I find, I guess, impressive about um, your work and your career overall is this sort of uh, um, willingness to. Uh, continually take on kind of new technologies, new processes. Um, like, for instance, Peter will talk more about it, but with Lumiere, um, you know, there was a time where you had to figure out how to use just lasers in general, which before you even get to the performance, um, just learning the lasers is, is an extraordinary undertaking in itself. And, um, and as you said, there's not really um, a, a distinct result that, that you're working towards necessarily at that point, I guess. Um, so I guess I'm sort of curious... How do you feel confident enough to to follow that all the way through, or, or how do you how do you know that it's a good idea to to put all this time into something like, you know, lasers? That's a, a very uh, important question, also for myself, um, because as a matter of fact, uh, I don't feel confident very often. Um, so, uh, I had a lot of moments, especially with the Lumia project, where I was thinking, what on earth am I doing here? Uh, does any of the work I put in um, lead to anything which um, justifies the effort? Because m making a decision for one thing is always making a decision against 10 other possible things. So shouldn't I just continue releasing records as Monolake instead of spending, I don't know how many months, um, learning a new technology to do something which at the end is maybe entirely boring? And... Um, so I, ha I had many of those moments. Uh, I, I guess what keeps me doing it is just curiosity. Um, and as far as the laser stuff is concerned, that's, that's an, an old interest of mine because when I was um, a little boy, I, um, I had a small uh, helium-neon laser. It's one of those um, gas tubes of this size, high voltage, and um, you get a, a red laser beam out of this and uh, incredibly powerful, um, about 10% of what the cheapest one euro laser pointer these days does. Um, but I had my own laser and I found it quite fancy and I tried to do things with it, but since it was really not bright at all, um, I couldn't do anything with it. But I, I kind of knew that I'm fascinated by the technology and I'm fascinated by the light. Uh, there is a vast territory aesthetically, which is... Um, at least in the uh, public notion, completely um, unexplored. And, um, you know, you can do different colors than, than uh, rainbow and blue and green. And you can do different shapes and you can different successions of shapes. Um, so, as a matter of fact, the, the things I saw, the existing things people did with lasers, made me confident. Um, and... So, yeah, and the rest was just trying to fight through technical uh, issues, which turned out to be a much longer journey than uh, 
I did imagine at the beginning. But I guess this is this is true for almost everything you start. Everything you, you try to do seriously, uh, if every step forward, you encounter 10 new problems. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess in, in a way, I, I'm a person who at some point says, it's, you know, continue. So it seems like kind of the thing that gives you confidence, even in the face of all that uncertainty, is um, this feeling sure that there's more that can be done with that medium. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I this, this was the feeling I had from the very beginning. There is a possibility there. And um, the rest was actually figuring out what this means for me. Um, and this is a process um, which uh, I found much more difficult than I, than I did anticipate. I, I think what I always do in this, these situations is I'm, I'm very naive. Uh, I, I have the naivety of an engineer who says, of course, there's an engineering problem. Let's throw some intelligence on it, and then we solve it. And um, I, I didn't, for instance, had a lot of thoughts about the artistic um, um, side of the project. You know? All I had is, it shall not be like that. Okay, that's, that's taken for granted. Sure, I can do this. Um, but how, for instance, music and the visual side interacts, uh, not on a technical level, on an artistic level, was something where I had just had a very vague idea, which was informed by what I know and see what people do with video. And at some point, I figured out that all my assumptions um, of how I want to do this uh, are wrong. And um, I, I had a, a significant crisis because I felt my project is working technically really nice, but artistically it goes in the wrong direction. And um, so I, I changed a lot at a very short, um, in a very short period of time. And I'm still changing a lot. And I, how I convince myself to continue doing this is by not pretending that what I show is a final step of something. What I show is a continuing work of progress. And every single Lumiere show is going to be basically a, a snapshot of, what I currently do. And um, ideally, every single snapshot is interesting enough to um, justify putting further work in it and reaching the next level. Um, that's my hope. <laughs> um, yeah, you kind of touched on this earlier, but um, I would imagine that from someone uh, with sort of the, the mindset of, of an engineer, like a, kind of a problem solver, as you put it, uh, it, it must take a certain amount of, um, I guess, faith, you could say, to allow yourself to um, follow what might feel like a diversion or, or just kind of like a weird tangent, you know? Um, and originally, I mean, you were always going to be an engineer, right? Um, but the music thing kind of came out of nowhere. Is that well, true? Well, <laughs> probably for my family, this is true, yeah. <laughs> um, it just happened to me that from a, from a very early age onwards, I, I discovered that I'm interested in abstract paintings. I like museums. Um, and so there was always a fascination for um, doing something on a creative level visually. And um, at some point, I discovered electronic music. And this was the classic key moment. You know, I, it's very embarrassing to say which kind of music it was, but it was 1975. So... Um, my apologies, it was Jean-Michel Jarre, Oxygen. Uh, it, 
I heard it, and uh, it's hard to imagine these days, but electronic music was not present at all in, uh, for the, in the broader public. Uh, it was rock music. Um, that was it. And suddenly there's, there's music which is entirely done with a synthesizer, um, which has no vocals, which has no song structure, which is based on sound design. I was completely shocked. And um, this was the, I think this was the, the one initial trigger which, which clearly defined, okay, I, I'm going to do something that has something to do with this. And since I come from engineering, the logical consequence was um, uh, going in the direction of sound engineering. Um, at some point, um, doing stupid jobs and have enough money to buy my first synthesizer, which was hilariously expensive at this time, and playing keyboards in a band. And then I moved to Berlin and suddenly the world exploded um, because this was early 1990s. And um, suddenly I discovered um, electronic club music. Um, and at the same time, I discovered uh, academic computer music. And these two things were completely like as, as far apart as it could be. Music where people spend um, month and month programming to get 10 seconds of, of sound, which was completely unheard and beautiful. Um, when you needed big computers to do this, or you need to have a lot of time to wait for it. And then you go to um, a basement club and there's just a bass drum uh, and a hi-hat and a snare and some delays. And those two things, which were completely different worlds, they immediately merged in my head to, I need to do something which is in between there. And yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> um, was there a point where music sort of uh, was a hobby and then maybe ceased to be one? Like where you, it, you really made the plunge of like, this, this is what I'm going to do well, as for a living? The, the funny thing is, um, so 2000, summer 2013, so summer last year, was the historical moment where I finally decided to give up everything else and just live from um, my artistic uh, endeavors. Um, before that, I was always doing different um, things uh, to uh, support my life, um, working for with Ableton, um, working as a mastering engineer, working at Berliner Ensemble as a sound engineer, um, doing all kinds of, of things, uh, teaching, um, to to feel safe to do my art because, you know, I can always do something else. Um, I, I guess the, the historic moment for me when things started to become serious um, was uh, at a very early point in time where I made a one-hour drone piece and a friend of mine said, you should play this to uh, Mark Ernestus and Moritz von Oswald because they have this new label there for droney music. And I did, because it was a small scene and it was easy to connect to people. You know, you, you didn't go through tens of A&R people and offices. You just um, met, you know, you, I just went to Hardwax, said hello to Mark and said, hey, um, my friend Blah Blah told me I should give you this. And here we go. And a week later, um, I had my record contract. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I sold 300 copies of that CD, but... Hey, um, I which, had my first CD. Which CD was that? Oh, that was Piercing Music. Actually, uh, finally, it sold much more copies, but you know, this was the initial run. And um, 
yeah, something that sort of crossed my mind. Um, so obviously the stuff you do today, art installations, um, these sort of uh, live performances that involve a lot of um, a lot of things other than music. Um, naturally, there's a lot of sort of classic engineering involved in those projects. Um, but just making those records back then um, with the technology that was available then, um, how much sort of engineering did, did that require? Well, it, it didn't require much, um, but there was already some engineering involved um, because one of the things I uh, got exposed to uh, at the Technical University was a software called Max. And um, this was a software which at this time had no audio. It just was a software to control uh, MIDI signals. But it allowed me to, to do sequencing in a, in a very strange way by working with chance operations, by working with chains of patterns that change automatically and all these things. And so I basically, from the, almost the very beginning of my music career, the idea of working on of building my own tools for creating the music uh, was an essential part. And also this is something which in the academic uh, computer music world was uh, the only way to do it. If, if someone wanted to have a specific sound, um, this person had to write a piece of code which created the sound um, because there were no commercial granular synthesis things. There were no commercial physical modeling or anything else which uh, requires a lot of computing power. So someone had an idea and then someone wrote a piece of software and hopefully um, it turned out that the idea was right and the resulting sound were good. Um, so it, it was never a, a deliberate decision of mine to say, okay, now I need to start programming for my music. It, it just happened. And um, the, the luxury to be able to, to shape my own tools was something which at some point became such a, a, a normal commodity for me that it would be unthinkable for me to, to only rely on something which is already there. Yeah, um, something I was going to ask is, could you see yourself kind of making a piece of music without any element of, of uh, you know, innovation? Or um, like, could you sit there and, and, and write a song? I think if I, if I couldn't imagine this, then I should probably just leave the stage now. Um, I, I think I can even um, just sit down on a, on a piano and create something which is uh, at least acceptable. Um, the... Because what I, what I find the danger and also something I, I'm afraid of is uh, doing uh, technology-driven art. Um, I, don't, I don't find a better term for it. But uh, what I don't want is that everyone at the end says, um, amazing technical achievement. <laughs> you know, I can, uh, um, I, ideally people have no idea how difficult it was to do something and just say that's, that's pretty nice, or this is cool, or I'm touched by it, or whatever um, people resonate. But I, I don't want to have, you know, there's, there's this, this genre of demo songs. You know, there's a new synthesizer and, um, or a new piece of software, and there's a demo. And the demo shows what the machine can do. And mostly this is musically, musically to, totally arbitrary, because you need to satisfy the uh, desires of a lot of different customers. So you throw in the the dubstep bubble bass because yeah it can do bubble too 
you throw in some classic um, jazzy stuff because yeah, you can play lots of chords. <laughs> so you, you show the technology, you show what's possible. And um, uh, I'd, I'd rather um, create something where no one at the end, um, well, that's not true, but where the technical side is not important. Unless for, a f apart from people like Peter or um, probably maybe 50% of the people sitting here now. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I throw in keywords like frame rate. <laughs> I guess in a way that um, that, that sort of is like a, an end goal um, is uh, you want there to be sort of an artistic experience in, in the classic sense. Like you want to create something sort of transcendent for the audience, not just technically impressive. Uh, also because um, only if it transcends, transcendence is a difficult word, um, if it transcends, from the technical side, it has a chance to um, stay uh, interesting in a few years. Because, you know, if, if, if it's just uh, the novelty aspect, um, well, there's a new novelty coming out next year, but if it's, if it's touching for a person who has no idea about the technical side, there's a bigger chance that it's still touching in 10 years, or 20, or 500. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so is there a point when you're working where you say like, okay, I've reached the sort of demo stage where you know I've 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 mastered all this um, technology, I, you know I, I could do something impressive, um, but now it's time to actually turn this into um, like a performance or, or or something artistic. If if I would think like this, I would never do a single performance <laughs> because I'm never finished. Um, I, I gave up on this idea of of. Uh, reaching a level where things are um, are in a state where I can show it to the public. Um, I, I Wait, just, I'm sorry, you, you mean you um, because you never feel that way or you never feel like it's finished? I, I never feel that uh, there's an end to technical improvement. Um, the one thing I learned whilst being in, in the professional software industry is um, you define a set of goals and you define a release date and then you work towards it. And um, if you have good luck, all your goals make it to the release. If you have bad luck, um, at the end you say, okay, this part we can't do, this part we can't do, and this part we do, but much smaller. Um, but you don't shift the release date. Because um, at the end of the day, you want to have a product. And in, in a way, making music is very similar. Um, because, you know, I, especially with my kind of way of thinking, I could work on a track forever. Um, but I, um, and actually software supports this. Uh, it's, it's very interesting for me to see how my work process changed. In, in the early 90s, uh, when I was still more making music with, with Gerhard Willis, the, uh, the Apple founder, um, we were basically jamming together on hardware machines uh, supported by um, our self-written sequences. And so every decision was real-time. The very moment things happened was the moment, and either there was a magic or there was no magic, and we just recorded. And at the very end of the day, um, we listened to the recording, like a stereo recording, and say, this part is good, this part is good, this part is good, and we throw the rest away, and we try to edit a piece of music out of it. Um, this is a, a very interesting way to work, because you make decisions all the time. And you make decisions which you can't revise afterwards. 
You can either say it was crap, forget about it, or you say I take it. Um, nowadays, when working in software, um, I can I save all the time. I save five million times a day, and then I uh, listen to 10 million versions and decide which one was the best one. It's complete nonsense. Um, I I go back now to a state which is much more like my old working method, where I say as soon as possible, I record something as audio and say, this is it. This gesture is either good and I keep it, or it's not good, then I throw it away, but I don't modify it. Um, and so I, I impose kind of doors which I can close. I, I build artificial doors in my work, which uh, at some point uh, I go through and what's happening on the other side, I can't access anymore. And this is the only way how I can, can move on. Um, some of those doors are, especially when working with blazers, are very simple ones. They're expensive and um, I don't have them. Uh, there's a company and I need to go to this company and they need to be available and I need to be able to rent them and I need to rent a space where I try things out. So I have a very strict uh, regime time-wise. I say, okay, I have one week. and this In this one week, I need to get everything done I want to get done for the Transmediale concert, period. And, well, then I end up having 14-hour shifts, and afterwards I'm almost sick because I was working so much, but <laughs> I, I achieved it because there was no other way around. As you said earlier, sort of this practice of um, taking on new things all the time, um, it's like each new thing you do, you create a new set of problems for yourself, and it just there are more and more problems as you go on. Um, it seems like you kind of have a pretty extraordinary ability to, to roll with that. But has how often do you have the experience of, of uh, kind of getting a certain distance in a project and then just saying to yourself, this isn't realistic or, or this, this is not going to happen? Or, or does that happen? Well, on, on the big projects, it doesn't happen because um, most of my bigger projects start out with a lot of writing. Um, it's also one thing I learned um, in the software industry um, that it's actually a good idea to start with a concept. So at the point where I actually start working on it, uh, I already iterated through a lot of possible scenarios. There's, there's many things, uh, especially as far as the um, uh, more installation um, art concerned. Uh, something's wrong with the sentence. As far as the installation is concerned, there's a lot of ideas which just don't make it uh, out of my sketchbook, you know, there's a fantastic idea. I try to uh, make it clearer what this idea is about. I make a few sketches, I make notes, I do a little bit research and afterwards I just close the chapter. Um, so if an idea uh, comes to a stage where I start actually really working on it, it's already matured in such a way that I'm confident that um, something is, is gonna work out. And I think one of the things you learn at a certain point when, when working with technology is you get at least a, a vague idea of what is doable and what is not doable. So, for instance, um, this, despite the, the surprises and the details, uh, my lasers pretty much do what I expected them to do. Um, there is no, no surprise which makes me questioning the whole project at some point where I think, okay, this is not going to work at all. Um, I, I ruled those things out at a very early stage. Um, just because I want, to, of course, to avoid to make, uh, like to run full speed against the wall. Um, 
you know. <laughs> um, and with music, it's the same way. I mean, I do it since, since I don't know, 25, 30 years. Um, I can, most of the time, I can estimate my abilities. So I know how, it how long it takes to, to create a piece of music for a concert. Um, and I'm also good in improvising. So if things don't work out the way it's intended, no one will notice. <laughs> it's interesting. So it's, um, it seems like kind of what you're saying is, um, you know, e even if you sort of, as you're saying earlier, will allow ideas to kind of uh, develop without really being sure where they're going, it's also important to, before you really get started, to assess um, basically how likely something is to succeed or, or to have a concrete plan on some level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this is, I think this is just total, totally normal at some point because it's nothing I even do consciousness, uh, conscious. It's, it's a question of experience. At, at some point you get an idea what, what you're capable of and whatnot. Um, the interesting thing is, from what you're saying, it sounds like that's a sort of mindset that you picked up um, from your, you know, more traditionally professional life from from working at software companies, where, you know, that that might not be such an obvious part of of you know the artistic experience, you know, for many people. I'm not sure. I mean, it, you know, so much of being a successful artist involves planning. Um, every successful artist I know, regardless of if it's music or painting or um, installation art or whatever it is. Um, it's always the same. It's 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 planning. You know, you it starts from talking about the planning side. Um, so Lumiere is a project which involves lasers shooting at a screen, and this implies that there's uh, the first discussion if someone wants to book the show is how does your room look like? How does your screen look like? Um, and then there's all these safety things. Um, no lasers should touch the people because those lasers are dangerous. So there needs to be two meter fifties in between the, the ground floor and the lowest laser beam. And I start, I start with a drawing of the room and with the drawing of the laser in the room and architectural plans. And so at, at the very beginning of, uh, of the project, there is just, uh, just a lot of planning. And only after there's a lot of green marks on all those um, pieces of paper, um, we move on towards doing something that has to do with artistic decisions. And so uh, at some point you just learn how to, how to deal with all the things around your artistic interest, which are necessary to um, make your art successful. I, I feel that this, the strongest difference between those uh, artists who are successful and those who are less successful is in many cases not the, the artistic output itself but the ability to to produce the artwork and production I mean and all the all the things around it like if you play a piece of music um, that you can make sure that the PA is in such a state that the audience actually can experience your music the way you want it um, or that if you work with video that you know beforehand that you get a video beamer which is acceptable uh, and that the connector is right and all these things. Um, See, it's, I guess kind of what that says to me is um, a lot of people can have a lot of great ideas, but if they kind of don't have the methods to allow those ideas to materialize, then they're sort of, you know, without significance, I guess. I, I think it's, 
It's just having this kind of stamina, saying, okay, I, I, I want it. You know, this, this kind of, the, the typical uh, mindset of an artist is, yeah, I don't give a shit if all my friends say electronic music is no music. I do it because I know I want to do it, you know. At school, when, when, I, when I told my, my schoolmates that I'm interested in electronic music, um, drum computers kill drummers um, and they are not uh, human. Electronic music is not music because no one is playing an instrument. Um, <clears throat> you don't make music, it's all your synthesizer is doing it. Um, blah, 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 blah. If I were listening to my schoolmates, um, I would have played the guitar and drums. Um, so <laughs> and I didn't have much, many friends at this time. So, um, but I had a synthesizer. <laughs> um, and those friends nowadays work in bank offices and <laughs> it's I, still to me the, the thing that uh, the part of what you're saying strikes me as really interesting is I mean what you're describing now is kind of the classic idea of an artist like someone who has original ideas and, and the balls to kind of stick with them and everything but in a way I think part of what makes you different is you have that and then you also have this sort of um, discipline and, and the, you know, the, the sort of pragmatism to actually cause things to, you know, come to fruition, to, to actually reach completion, which um, I don't know, I think sort of the, the classic idea of an artist might not involve that, that sort of, you know, practical mindset, but it, it's, it seems like that's really a, an extremely important factor in, you know, in sort of the work that you do and your career in general. But this is, I mean, in, in, a, in a way, this is, uh, there is the classic public image of the artist, and there's uh, how artists um, work uh, by themselves. You know, uh, the public image is, of course, you go in a studio and you have the magic moment, and it happens. Uh, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, every, every, every musician I know um, goes in the studio and tries and is actually waiting for the magic moment. Um, and the waiting and the, the missed attempts to create something beautiful are all part of the game. And so it always has to do with hard work. Um, Fennes in an interview said, well, he has a strict regime. He goes, gets up in the morning, he goes in the studio nine, nine to five, like everyone, other, everyone else does, you know? So instead of going to the office, he's going to the studio. It doesn't matter if he has an idea or not, he's just going there and trying things out and hoping that the magic happens. Um, another a, a painter once, I forgot who, who it was, said when he was asked what he's doing actually all day long, he's saying, well, I'm, I'm sitting in my studio on a chair. That's what I do most of the time. And looking at my paintings and trying to come up with an idea. And in between, I stand up and draw something. And then I go back to my chair. That's how I spend my days. Um, that's a different thing than... I go for half an hour in the studio, paint a little bit, and afterwards uh, I go to the movies and um, in the park or do whatever. Um, this waiting for the moment is, needs as much discipline as actually working on a machine nine to five. And it's this, this waiting which is so, so, which is the most difficult part. Like just today, I'm, I'm, currently I'm in a bit in a, in a driven mode. Um, which happens at the very wrong time, for instance. Um, I really wanted to see all the things uh, Transmedial and CTM has to offer. And it just happens that during the last five, six days, suddenly something is happening. And I go to the studio and I make things which I really like. So um, 
I completely omit all my social life. Um, I say to people, yeah, I come to Berghain later and I never show up. And they send me text messages and I apologize, but I'm still in the studio um, because something, it's so precious that there's a moment um, where suddenly something shows up um, that I need to, to catch this moment. And leaving the studio to come here was an incredible challenge. <laughs> and right after this talk, I go back. You know? <laughs> so uh, it's part of the discipline is really to, if, if the idea is there, grab it. Like Ansel Adams doing all these fantastic pictures of Yosemite National Park. Um, guess which time of the day this is. It's 4.30 in the morning. You know, there's no hotel there. There's nothing there. And it's winter. It's fucking cold. Um, it's not about this one second to make the picture. It's about waiting for days and days and days and freezing cold to get this one moment where the sun is there. <laughs> so that's the work of the, the artist is waiting. Mm -hmm.